are listening to the Film Monsters Podcast with me and Ray. (laughs) Well, hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Film Monsters Podcast. I'm Nate. Yeah, I am Ray. And Ray, I don't know about you, but it's crazy that we're getting super close to 10 episodes of this already. I feel like we just started it last week, but it also feels like we've been doing it forever. It's this weird thing in my head where I'm like, wow, this is just so awesome that it's something we've been doing every week, and I've been really happy that so many people seem to be enjoying it. I know there's a lot of regulars out there who will like message me and be like, I got really excited to hear you and Ray talk again, and I'm looking forward to just grow that audience and that community and that discussion about movies. Yeah, I'm excited too. Like you said, it, it's weird to think that it's going to be almost a season's worth of episodes. And it feels like we just started, but it also, I don't know, with every episode, I can hear the growth in how we're doing this. And I'm pretty excited about that as well. Absolutely. I can't wait for the future. So Ray, there was something you wanted to talk to me about. I saw this show up on my feed. So let me put it to you this way. You are in your early 30s, as am I. And what if I told you, hey, Nate, next year, approximately a year from now, on July 21st of 2023, there's going to be a movie called The Barbie Movie. I am insanely optimistic that it will be a good movie. I don't know. I I, I like Greta Gerwig, but I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. What did you What did you learn about this movie? Well, so like, and it sounds like you might be already ahead of the curve on me on this, but so when I heard about the Barbie movie coming out, I was just kind of, why do we need that? And then I, I saw Margot Robbie as Barbie, which makes absolute sense. But I saw Ryan Gosling as Canning. I love Gosling. I think he is hilarious. There's a lot of comedic punch to him. But also when I saw Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach helping co-write the script, that jumped out the page because I don't believe that Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig will just take a project as a cash grab. They have more integrity than that. And it's the thing that I, the reason why I wanted to bring up this, this film is because how do we feel about two directors and writers that have proven themselves to be masters at their craft, taking on this very mainstream Mattel project? I'm actually really excited for it. And I think the reason why I'm so excited for it is because, like you said, I mean, you take two powerhouses like that who have been doing these indie movies, and to take a large, so well-known thing, I feel like they're going to subvert your expectations. I know I read, like, a little plot synopsis that said, like, Will Ferrell is going to be, like, the head in Barbie land or whatever, and Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie, like, escape to the real world, and it's, like, them dealing with people in the real world, and so... I don't know, part of me in my head was like, make this a horror movie or something. Like, there's so much commentary that can be made about Barbie, especially, like, in our current society about, like, how we sexualize people or how women are treated. And I feel like there's a lot of ways that that can be taken. And obviously, like, if you look at Greta Gerwig's Little Woman movie, she focused really heavy on taking subject matter and kind of spinning it through a feminist lens. So I think that whatever these filmmakers do with it, it will be interesting even if it's not like the greatest movie ever i think it's going to be thought-provoking and interesting enough that we're going to enjoy it well the reason why i wanted to bring it up is because i feel like there's a lot of people that especially those that aren't really that concerned with knowing who 
writers and directors are they hear oh a barbie movie that's going to be lame that's not going to work why are we making that movie the reason why i wanted to bring this conversation up um for this brief moment is because where do we do we pledge allegiance to a director to a writer where do we draw the line and should we you know be more open-minded about things that we are normally aren't as excited you know what i mean i just i feel like we've come to an age where i think we've talked about this in the past that we are our attention span is so short that we see the barbie movie oh we're writing it off that's going to be terrible but seeing these names attached to the project because it's no it's no secret too that margot robbie and Ryan Gosling, as well as America Ferreira, who's also casted, they're all stellar, impressive at their craft as well. So the fact that there's so much talent attached to a project that shouldn't be that exciting is exciting in of itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. When you think about something like this, especially like when I go to see a movie, a lot of times, you know, I'll see a, the name for a project and I'm immediately like, yeah, this is not something that really catches my interest. But when I do look at like the screenwriter or the director, sometimes they can turn something that you would never think would work into something that's really entertaining and engaging. And so I stay optimistic about that. I don't think that that necessarily means that like I'll go in blind to every movie that comes out and be like, I'll go watch the Playmobil movie because Anya Taylor-Joy's in it. But I think if you do have the right people working on the right projects that you can turn out something that works really well. Right, and I think that that was the reason I wanted to bring it up. For those out there that are probably seeing posters for these mo- for these movies going, oh, that looks stupid. I just want to encourage everybody to, to do a little bit of homework before you judge a film because it just might be the greatest thing you see. I mean, I don't know if you remember the debacle when Sonic was originally released and it had that terrible CGI hedgehog and people were just irate about it and they fixed it and i'm not saying sonic is some art house masterpiece but the it turned out to be a great movie and so sometimes it's just good to just be patient and give something that's probably out of your comfort zone at least do some reading before you write it off i'm not saying go watch movies blind like you said do a little bit of homework you might just find some really cool stuff out there from the unlikely of places yeah and i think that's one of the cool things too now about streaming services as well as like i feel like because of online streaming and like netflix and hulu and all these places that you get a lot more opportunity to watch material that you might not necessarily watch anyway because it's like i already pay for this subscription so why not and i know that that's a little bit different when it comes to like going to the theater and seeing something because you're paying your money so i don't know it's it's cool though when properties like this like some like the Barbie movie and I'm like wow I'm actually really excited to see this and I'm looking forward to what Greta Gerwig puts out because I think she's really talented she's put out a couple really good movies I've always thought that she was incredible actress like between her and Noah Baumbach working on like Francis Ha and a lot of the movies they've worked on together I'm I'm really excited for what this product is going to look like as we're talking about allegiance to 
and giving a chance to a director that's the perfect segue for today's topic. We mentioned it last week when we finished the episode about psychological thrillers, but a filmmaker that Ray and I both like quite a bit, and I mentioned in the last podcast one of the main reasons why I decided to go to film school, is Mr. Edgar Wright. And I love Edgar Wright's films, and Ray has a similar uh, love for it. His material I actually saw today when I was going back through his IMDb page. Apparently, Ray, and I don't know if you've heard this, he's doing a remake of The Running Man. Interesting. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's his next project that was announced. And so anytime he puts anything out, I get really excited about it. And Ray and I are going to rank seven of Edgar Wright's feature-length films. We're not talking about the Sparks Brothers documentary. It's a little different. It's not... I don't know if you've seen it yet, Ray. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I feel like... It's hard to compare a documentary from a filmmaker to their feature-length work, and so we're just going to talk about the seven features that Wright has put out from. I think if this works for you, Ray, we'll go from our least favorite to our favorite. That works, and I feel like you and I are going to at least have a crossover right now on our least favorite. And and by the way, before we get into it, I just want, want to point out that just because a movie's our least favorite, it doesn't mean the movie sucks. It just means... You know, it's like trying to pick who your favorite child is. Yes, exactly. They're all great in their own merit. It's just one of them is going to favor the other one. So for me, my least favorite is his directorial debut, A Fistful of Fingers. Yes, and that is my least favorite as well. And I think what's really cool is prior to this episode, Ray, you and I, neither one had ever seen this because it's kind of hard to track down. I know there's like barely any physical releases of it. I know Edgar Wright said in the past that he'd like to do a nice like remastered version of it on Blu-ray, but you can tell it's a very rough around the edges movie. Yeah, it came. It looks like it came out in 95. It's like a Western comedy film. And it's interesting because the movie, it's definitely rough. Like you said, it's definitely rough around the edges. It's definitely the budget shows for sure. But that is also kind of the charm of it, to be honest, though. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like this movie does have a certain charm to it. I mean, it's clear that Edgar used a lot of his like friends in this movie. There's a lot of no-name actors in it. But it, it really, at its core, feels like a passion project. This feels like someone who loves westerns and loves uh, just film as a whole and makes fun of a lot of the tropes that exist in western movies and some of the stuff that was included i don't know if you noticed ray but i i know edgar wright is like a huge star wars nerd did you hear the sound clip from star wars that was inserted into the one scene i can't recall now i can't remember the exact spot from it but it was like a quote from a new hope and it made me laugh really hard but it i don't know the the thing about this movie that i feel like detracts from the other ones obviously is the budget but Ray and I both said this when we talked about it off the podcast. It's only like an hour and 17 minutes, and it really kind of takes its time to get going. And then it gets, I'd say after about the first like 15 minutes, it starts to get really funny for a good half hour. And then it kind of falls prey to doing the same thing over and over again. And I think that's one, another one of the reasons why it falls pretty low on my list. It definitely wears, wears out its welcome. Also, the one doc like that I have, and granted, it's not even a big complaint, Given the fact that it's a small budget movie with a really, really small budget, it definitely shows. It was almost the continuity of the character because at first they show this, the man with no name as this like really intense and brutal guy that no one messes with. But then 
you kind of realize his imposter syndrome that he's not all that tough I try to build him up to be one thing i know a lot of movies do that when they show the vulnerability but this one just felt like suddenly he is just not a tough guy anymore just very suddenly which is which is fine you know this is a comedy not not some character study but something i did appreciate about it though is you can already see those early cues of the very silly but smart humor that edgar wright has become known for Absolutely. I think for me too, like I cared so much less about the characters in this film and more about the aesthetic and the comedic punches. There's so much of like Edgar Wright's hallmarks in this. Like there's this scene, I talked to Ray about it uh, before the podcast, but like he, the man with no name is sneaking through the woods at one point and he keeps hearing like these twigs crack and like the camera whips over and you actually see a person with their hands crack a twig and then they like honk a horn and to make these noises and it's all this like overblown comedy that we're used to from Edgar Wright and that's the stuff I love the most and I know Ray I want you to talk about it for a minute because I know you loved it just as much as me but the horses oh my god that was one of my favorite parts of the movie that was probably my favorite part to be honest like the horses because it's totally like you can tell it's just like a little piece of cloth with a horse head and (laughs) just like this they have like googly eyes (laughs) there was a couple scenes in the movie that caught me off guard too like uh one of my favorite characters in the film and i think it was just because of how he used his facial expressions and his body movements was the guy's Native American friend who I felt <laughs> like was one of the funniest characters in the movie. And there's a scene where they're like sitting around the bonfire and the light goes off and he makes some comment. He's like, do you think two men like us out here lonely? And he's like, please stop. Let me sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and I was that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie because I was like, oh, he's taking it there. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of like that signature Edgar Wright hallmarks all over this movie. Edgar even shows up at early on in the film. He's in it for like five minutes before he gets shot, but, but it's, it's got its charms and I think it's worth watching just to kind of see where his film career goes from here, but it's definitely not anywhere near his strongest movie. Yeah, no, I agree. The, the, and it shows, I mean, there's a gap between this one and his next movie that's i want to say like a 10 year gap between those movies yeah and that's because in between and i'm not sure if you've ever seen it ray but are you familiar with the tv show that edgar did called spaced i'm familiar with it but i actually have never seen it yeah so for spaced would have been in between this i think it came out in like 1999 and that was where the very first time he ever worked with simon Pegg and nick frost it's a really great comedy i still haven't seen all of it but what i've seen of it it really kind of builds up on his trademarks even more in like the television format and so he had that in between these two but i mean working on television compared to working on film i mean you're working with a lot less of a budget you're you're kind of just finding your bearings but it's really a huge leap where he went from this film to Shaun of the Dead it's like a it's a completely different world absolutely I don't know if you have anything else to add about this 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 movie though no there's really not much more to say I think it's one of those go in and watch it just because you'll Ray and I could explain every single gag that happens in the movie but you'll enjoy it a lot more if you just go in blind yeah it's not by any means like a bad movie it's it's just a low budget movie but it's charming it's charming in its own right yeah I enjoyed the runtime of it I, I felt like it dragged a little bit but i'm not disappointed that i watched it yeah so ray that's our last one what would be your sixth pick um i think we're this is where we're gonna start deviating a little bit um for sure but my sixth pick 
is actually the world's end. Oh, I, oh, the world's end. Yeah, do you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, so the world's end, it's the the third of the Cornetto trilogy installment. And, you know, it's, it's this film about this group of friends, the usuals that Edgar Wright likes to work with, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, you know, the whole gang... They're basically a group of friends. They grew up together. They used to do... Remind me the name. Is the Mile... Uh, yeah, it's the... Uh, oh, my God. It's I can't remember it right off the top of my head. It's the something Mile. It's a, it's a challenge, basically. They this is There's this stretch of bars. And I think the, it's a mile-long stretch of bars that they have to hit and drink at every bar until they reach the world's end, which is the final bar on the challenge. And they attempted the challenge when they were kids and they failed. And he decides to get together with his friends to do the challenge again as adults. But everyone has kind of grown up and have their own life. But Simon Pegg is still kind of trying to live on the heydays of when they were in, you know, teenagers, early 20 kids. Um, and it's them getting back together and trying the, the challenge. You know, for me, I like this movie it's higher up on my list than you for this movie. But I would say one of the reasons why it ends up higher on my list is I feel like, especially when you look at the Cornetto trilogy for Edgar Wright, this is probably the most human of all three of those movies where I don't want to give away the spoiler of the film, but I feel like Gary King's character has this like really disturbed past and you find out a lot about his character and like why he is the way that he is and there's this really great moment near the third act as to like you find out some really like terrible shit has happened to him and the reason why he wants to do this is because he doesn't want to think about where his life's gone and that's a part of the movie that i really can appreciate a lot and i'm sure ray even though it falls on this part of the list i'm sure you probably appreciate that element of it too Oh, absolutely. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, none of these movies are bad in any way. They're all fantastic. It's just, I think for me, when I watched this movie, I had already been exposed to the other Edgar Wright movies that that are higher on this list, obviously. So by the time I saw this one, I kind of already made up my mind about how much I loved the other ones even more. That this one just, by, by happenstance, it ended up closer to the bottom. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'll I'll give more of my opinions when I get there on on my part of the list, but I I do really like the um the effects in this movie. Yes, really for like, sure. Yeah. It's I I remember I saw this when it came out in the theater. I ended up seeing it. This was when I worked at a movie theater. So I think I saw it 3 or 4 times. My appreciation for it grew more each time I saw it. I feel like the first time I was trying so hard to compare this to like this was after Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and Scott Pilgrim, so I was trying to compare it to those. But I think it's a movie that holds its own weight and its own merit, and I do enjoy revisiting this one every time I see it. Here's a fun little tidbit before we continue. For me, it wasn't maybe until like, I think it's been in the last 10 years that I've gotten more versed in like the world of directors and actors and writers. So when I saw this movie, I would have been maybe like 20, 21. I didn't know much about that stuff. So I didn't realize that it was the same director as Scott Pilgrim. Uh, Edgar Wright was my like i said before my entry into really like falling in love with film and so he was one of the few filmmakers at that period in my life that i followed everything that he did so like as soon as i found out this movie was coming out it was like opening night i was there 
And I wish I would have had that experience because I don't think Edgar Wright didn't became a name to me until um, I think it was until his later films, like the, the more recent ones, that Edgar Wright became a name to me. It wasn't just like, oh, I like this dude's movies. Like he became Edgar Wright, and now Edgar Wright is one of those that directed by Edgar Wright. I'm there. I've seen every movie in the theaters from him since Scott Pilgrim was released. So he's one of those, it's like never going to miss a movie. Well, so The World's End is my sixth pick, but which one is yours, Nate? Yeah, so my sixth pick, and I'm sure, Ray, we talked about this off podcast, so you're probably aware, but my sixth pick is Baby Driver. Yeah, we we did talk about this a little bit. Yeah, uh, Baby Driver falls pretty low on my list, not because I think that it's a bad movie, I just don't connect with the characters as much. I remember seeing this in the theater, and I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, and I just, I loved the atmosphere. I loved the editing. I think that this movie's really slick when it comes to like the editing of the sound, like especially the music in with the certain things happening on the screen. And it's really well executed. And you can tell that this is really a, a passion project that Edgar Wright had. And that he worked, I know he said in interviews that he worked on this idea for a really long time. But there's something like, as far as Baby's character and the people surrounded by him and like, Baby, you could see, like, okay, he's doing these awful things out of necessity and, like, he needs to do it so that he can survive. But it's hard for me to empathize with any of the other characters other than his girlfriend. I feel like it's it's really difficult for me to care as much and, like... Kevin Spacey's character is, like, really just off-putting, you know, all the people he works with, even, like, John Hamm, they're not really people that I, I care about watching, which is unfortunate, because, like, I really want this group of people to be like, oh my god, I can't wait to see what they're doing next. So I just felt a little detached from that compared to some of Edgar's other films. I get that. I think the reason why this one ranks a little bit higher for me, and I'll just get it out of the way while while we're while we're talking about it since we're in the same movie. My next movie, my number five pick is Baby Driver, so we might as well just piggyback off of each other right now. Yeah, I think for me the only reason why like it just edges the world thin a little bit more, uh, and you know this, Nate, and you're no different. We're both pretty musically inclined people. I feel like my first love was music and then film. Uh, so to me, being able to marry both, like, I would argue that Baby Driver is a musical. The way how it's choreographed, you know, some of my favorite cues are, for example, Neat Neat Need by The Dam. The choreograph of that car chase scene with that song, it floors me every time. The Hocus Pocus song, um, when he is running away after after you know the job goes bad just all the different musical cues or i love the um tequila one when they're in the shootout with tequila i think that's why this movie edges out a little bit more just because i'm such a like musically inclined person i don't play instruments or anything like that i just i just love music and being able to see this mind-blowing cinematography be so like perfectly choreographed with a incredible well curated soundtrack it just edgar wright knows his way around music and i feel like that's something that he is a master at is curating these amazing soundtracks and marrying them with with the visuals i was also a kid that always carried an ipod around even when like streaming services started becoming popular i was still that kid carrying around an ipod so that kind of resonated with me a little bit as well i was a zune kid ah of course <laughs> I, I was a microsoft guy but no one of my favorite music sequences in the film i love the 
T-Rex song, Deborah, when that plays when they're in the laundromat. I love that scene where they're sharing the headphones. And then I really loved the casting of Sky Ferreira as Baby's mom. Yes. And the, that scene where you hear her perform that song is phenomenal. There's a lot of really great moments in this. And that's like what Ray and I were saying at the beginning of this episode. It's really hard when you're talking and ranking Edgar Wright's films because he's just he just knocks it out of the park consistently. And it's really hard when you're pairing his movies because they're all so good. It's almost like he just knows how to do all the right things. Oh my god. Yes, you are correct, sir. <laughs> but yeah, that's... I don't really have much more to say about Baby Driver. I think it's a movie you should definitely go watch. I, it's an experience. The only thing I'll add to it, and I think the one and only complaint I have about this movie, but I think this is almost done on purpose. It's just some of the suspended disbelief. Like, you can't really expect me to believe that this kid that wears the same outfit every single day never gets caught. The love, the, the romance between the two of them feels very puppy love and it's just not like you said i just don't connect very well with that with it but the only reason like i said what it edges out the other one is just because the music and the choreographed stunts and everything just captivate me every time and i just can't look away yeah i don't have much else to say about baby driver just watch it it's really entertaining so then what the heck is your next one then since baby driver was my number five what's your number five yeah so my number five pick is going to be Edgar Wright's newest film, Last Night in Soho. Oh. I enjoyed Last Night in Soho. Obviously, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you guys know that Ray and I are Anya Taylor-Joy fanatics. Uh, I was really excited to know that she was working on an Edgar Wright project. And I really did love the experience of seeing this in a theater. And I think that it is a really great suspense movie that kind of combines... A lot of people said that this was really reminiscent of Giallo films. And I feel like other than the color scheme of the movie, it has elements of it but I, I don't see it a hundred percent in the execution I feel more like it's just a really good psychological thriller and I think Annie Taylor Joy's performance is unbelievable but even more so I don't think people gave enough credit to Thomas and McKenzie who also is just like absolutely incredible in this movie I feel like one of the reasons why it falls a little lower on my list I'm obviously a sucker for the Simon Pegg Nick Frost duo in those movies but there was a lot of this movie that I felt like was kind of campy and a little cheesy when I was watching it that like took me out of that it was supposed to be like this really gritty suspense and there were elements of it where I was like uh Edgar's like sense of humor didn't really work in certain elements of that for me where I felt like okay you're saying you're doing this straightforward horror movie but you're still trying to add in little elements of your camp some of it I felt like it was a little bloated it wasn't like as fast paced as his other films but I still really enjoyed it and this film also has an incredible score that I'm a really big fan of. Once again, Edgar Wright just knows how to curate good soundtracks. This one's higher on my list for sure. I do agree with you. I don't think Thomas and Mackenzie gets the credit that she deserves. Because I feel like Anya Taylor-Joyce's character pretty much remains the same character throughout the whole movie. There's not a whole lot of growth. But Thomas and Mackenzie, she's the one that you see progress. She's the one you see 
change and evolve and go through all these stages. The other one that I wanted to, you know, talk about is, you know, Matt Smith as Jack. He is, first of all, Matt Smith is really good at playing those roles, like the more old-timey, old-fashioned roles. Yeah, for sure. I'm a Doctor Who fanatic, so I loved Matt Smith when he was on that show, and I was really excited to see him in the movie, and I agree with you. I think he was one of the stronger elements to this film. His character just provided a lot of depth to the story and he was one that like every time he was on the screen I was just like oh I can't wait to see what he does next and similarly Terrence Stamp who's in the real world the older man that's at the bars and stuff I felt like his character was really good and there is a lot of really good performances in this movie I just feel like I don't know I didn't connect with it as strongly as I do the other ones that are higher up on my list this one will be will be higher on my list later on I have a few more prices to give to it as to why I love it so much but we'll get to that when we get to it absolutely so Ray uh, I don't have much more to say about Soho so do you want to give me your number four pick my number four pick you're gonna be sad about out because I know you I know you wanted to be higher on my list mm-hmm. I the only reason why it's not higher is because my remaining three are I connected with even more so I'll just get out of the way and you can throw stones at me hot fuzz is my number four yeah it's hot fuzz is gonna be way higher on my list uh, but I <laughs> but I understand I know this was uh, your first time watching it so I'm actually just I'm really just interested to hear what you have to say about it oh yeah no like it was my first time watching it and I I don't know why I never saw it. It's not for any reason other than I just hadn't. I really liked it. It was hilarious. It, I I think it is his funniest movie. There was this scene when he gets transferred and you see him jump from train to train. It was all about timing. It was all about the execution, physical comedy. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. British comedy is superior than American comedy. In every way. In every way, yes. But this movie is great, though, because I feel like from the Cornetto trilogy, Simon Pegg plays the loose cannon most of the time, but on this one, he's the straight man. That was really interesting to see because most of the time, Simon Pegg kind of plays the sloppy guy. Even though Nick Frost piggybacks off of that sloppiness, this time, it was the other way around, where... Simon Pegg was the straight guy and then you see all the cameos my gosh this thing is just jam-packed with the Harry Potter world basically (laughs) yeah but there are two cameos in this film Ray that I'm interested if you've heard about before and I would love to I'm gonna obviously rave about this movie later but uh there's a couple things I wanted to tell you because I thought you'd think this was interesting so the first cameo in this film is Peter Jackson where was he? Peter Jackson is the Santa Claus that stabs him at the beginning. No way. Yes. Uh, so he is <laughs> he is the, the man that stabbed him at the beginning. He said that he'd always wanted to work with Edgar Wright. And Edgar Wright obviously loves Peter Jackson. And he, um, wanted to, he wanted to work with him and has always wanted to be in a film with him. And so he put him in that cameo. And then this one's a little bit more apparent if you pay attention. But I don't think that she's even credited. But his ex-girlfriend at the beginning of the movie when they're doing the crime scene is Kate Blanchett. Are you serious? Yes, that's in the medical mask and the white the white yeah. suit. She, she also always wanted to be in an Edgar Wright movie. And so he said, okay, I'll put you in this movie. And she said, okay, but don't put me in the credits. I don't want anybody to know it's me. 
That's amazing. And just as like a fun, a fun thing for the cast. She but sounded, yeah, think, she did sound familiar. I'm like, her voice sounds familiar. There's so many things about this movie I love, and obviously when it gets to this part of my list, I'll go into a little bit more. But I will just say quickly that one of my favorite characters in any movie of all time is a guy who is that the the chief inspector has some of the best lines in the entire movie and every time i watch it i literally like there is not a thing that he says in that film that does not make me laugh until i cry every single time i watch that movie a uh, uh, jim broadbent when he says a great big bushy beard the first time i ever heard that i had to pause the movie because i was crying laughing so hard just like the delivery and then like um there's that there's that scene where he's in the the office with uh nick frost and simon pegg and nick or simon pegg's trying to be really serious with him and he goes do you like ice cream and I'm, I'm like every every line delivery, and let's not let's not forget to talk about the great Timothy Dalton, who gives just a phenomenal performance in this movie. This movie is just riddled, just filled with with so much talent. And I know you'll rave about it later, so I'll let you rave on later. But I do want to add, I do want to add, which is one last thing. This movie, for those who haven't seen it, I'm, I won't say, but I know you you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When you find out the motivations of the killer and the reason why the killer is doing the things that the killer is doing, I can I can see this movie being played back in when did it come out? Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. And seven. I can see myself watching this movie in two thousand and seven and being like, Those motivations are ridiculous. No one is that horrible. And then you hear some of the stuff that are happening right now in the world, and you're like, oh, yeah, people are that horrible. The great are good. <laughs> the, gra- the great are good. <laughs> Shut it! <laughs> My number four pick is The World's End. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I uh, I absolutely loved this movie. I Like I said when I was talking about it when it came up on your list, I think the thing I love the most about The World's End is the really human story because I think in all of these movies, you know, in in Shaun of the Dead, you have this really uncomfortable family dynamic that he has and it's laid out pretty well. And then in Hot Fuzz, you obviously have Simon Pegg as Nicholas Angel. He can't keep a relationship. And then you have Nick Frost's relationship with his dad. But I feel like in this movie, there's all of these guys who are Simon Pegg's friends who have all moved on, they're all married, they have kids, they're all doing things with their lives. And the whole movie, we're trying to ask ourselves, okay, why can't Simon Pegg grow up? What is it about him that he can't kind of jump this hurdle and get to a point where he can act like an adult? And when you find out what happened and like the things going on in his head, it kind of builds that relationship between him and Nick Frost's character even more. And I don't know, every time I watch this, I just love it. And I love the setting and the environment. I love the amount of time putting into, like, naming the different bars. I love the guy who's <laughs> constantly drinking his beer with a straw. That killed me every time. I love the fight sequences in this movie. The choreography in the fight sequences is so good. The scene in the bathroom in particular is one of my favorites. This cast is pitch perfect. That's one of the things Edgar Wright uses a lot of the same people in all of his movies, but I feel like this, especially like, I don't know if you feel the same way, Ray, about this movie, but I think one of the strongest people in The World's End is Martin Freeman. Yes, absolutely. I was actually, I was going to say, if he doesn't bring up Martin Freeman, I will. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, he's absolutely incredible. I feel like his, his character's great. And then I've... I think Rosamund Pike is just an amazing actress, and she's so good in it. I just 
everybody that comes up in this movie, it's it's just they they play off each other so well. And I get to some people like the comedy isn't as quick and the editing isn't as quick as a lot of the other movies that Edgar's done in the past. But I don't know. There's something about this story that I can just attach to about this like not wanting to give up being young and wanting to kind of live in that moment and care about your youth. And obviously that feels like a self-reflection maybe of uh, Edgar Wright himself and kind of like being like at this point where I'm like, hey man, I'm getting older, you know, but I don't want to grow up. And yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot more to say about The World's End. We talked about it earlier, but that is why it's number four on my list. One of my favorite gags from The World's End is... It just happens a couple times, but when they go up and order um, drinks, and he's like, we'll all have a pint, and then uh, Nick Frost is like, can I have a cranberry juice? And he's like, what? And then you see the montage of all the beers and, like, a little cranberry juice. Do you want to know something funny? What's that? Simon Pegg does not drink. Are you serious? At all. Every beer that he drinks in that movie is a non-alcoholic. I mean, most film sets are, but yeah, he is completely alcohol-free. He's been sober his whole career. That's so interesting because I feel like that's such a staple of of those movies. I mean, I just ordered Hot Fuzz on, on vinyl, and the, the vinyl, the color is literally labeled like Crown Ale. You know, there, there's such a theme about drinking in these movies so that makes it even funnier yeah i watched an interview with him talking about it and it's like that just goes to show how great of an actor he is he really does do a phenomenal job so ray i'm i'm ready for your third pick let's hear it my third pick is a little a little movie that you might have heard of called last night in soho yeah we just talked about last night in Soho. i'm ready to hear about why you love it so much so i i we already discussed the acting and the performances we did not however discuss the weasley twins doing a cameo in this movie yeah i forgot all about that (laughs) (laughs) so something that i love about this movie that captivated me so much is the the behind the scenes so like when i bought the blu-ray i just devoured the all of the specs all the special features how they film certain things i was captivated by all of the way how they filmed the mirror images. I don't know if you knew this, but the that scene when Anya Taylor Joy shows up and she starts dancing with uh, with Jack, and then you see she's switching back and forth with Thomas and Mackenzie. So that was shot in a, that was a continuous shot, and as they were dancing, one of the actresses would pop up and dance with Jack. And then they would give cues and she would drop and then the other actress would pop up and just pick up right where the other one left off. And it was a constant switch. That was a continuous shot. And then some of the mirror scenes, I guess, both of the actresses had to practice mirroring each other. Another thing that I love, like, because I remember thinking to myself, like, why are the Weasley, like, I call them the Weasley twins because I don't know their actual names. Why did they need both of them? It's because the, the scene where they show up, they're playing mirror of each other there's no actual mirror they're just standing face to face with each other and just all those specs the fx all the effects with the ghosts and how they're actual practical effects a lot of it is practical there's a little bit of cg but a lot of it is also just trick photography just all of those things i was really impressed by the special effects the way that everything was uh, put together i love that world i think it's a beautiful world but i also think what the movie's trying to say for me personally i think the movie is trying to be cautionary of trying to stay stuck in the past how thomas and mackenzie's character she romanticizes the 60s so much 
And when she gets dragged into that world, she realized that, you know, women were treated poorly. You know, it was a man's world. And you had all of these these horrible things that were happening in an era that she romanticized so much. So I do believe that it is almost like a cautionary tale of it's okay to love the past, but you also have to make time for the present. And I think that's what, what resonated with me so much because I feel like we're always sitting there thinking about the good old days but you know you, we're not giving focus to the things that we have now and I feel like that movie made a statement that that era the 60s were great and all but you have to also focus on the now and what's happening now don't fixate so much on the past focus on making the best out of what you have right now and that's why that film resonated with me so much no and I think that's a really poignant thing you're saying right because I think especially in the really difficult times we're living in right now where you know women are being treated as second-class citizens and our government isn't even trying to fight for women to have their own bodily autonomy it, it, you look back at the 60s and it was even worse i mean if you were a woman a person of color like anything like yes there was great music in that time there was great movies that came out but like our society should be progressing further now and looking back into those eras there's still problems and there's still things that could be fixed i remember there's a movie i i don't know if you've seen it but there's a movie midnight in paris that also kind of dives into that and looks into like this whole idea of kind of idolizing the past and caring so much about it but then when you have the ability to travel into that area and to see it firsthand you learn like eh, not all that glitters is gold so i i do agree with you i think that that's a really poignant thing that that movie is trying to say and that too was one of my favorite parts of that film so that that's the the reason why that one ranks so high i think a lot of people will automatically say oh that one ranks so high because x y and z but no it's for me it's actually boy down to that message of yeah some eras were cool but we also need to appreciate the here and the now absolutely and i love your reasoning behind that i think that's a really a really great reason to love that film so much so what is your number three so my number three pick, Ray, is a little-known movie that you may have heard of called Shaun of the Dead. That's my number two, so let's just do this. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I'm i obsessed with Shaun of the Dead. These top three films, with the exception of my number one, because I'll rave about it later, but these three are all really hard for me to rank because I truly think that they're all three flawless works of cinema. I love Shaun of the Dead so much because I think... There's so many people who have tried to create this world of like comedy and horror together and are trying to play it together. I think there's perfection examples of it, like Sam Raimi's uh, Evil Dead 2, I think is a perfect example of what a horror comedy can be. But Shaun of the Dead, and I love what Edgar Wright said when I read a review, when they were creating the Cornetto trilogy, all Edgar Wright wanted to do was take a concept, any concept, and kind of apply these characters and these situations to whatever concept that was thrown at them and they're like hey why don't we do zombies and he executes it so well and what i love is zombies are there they're a threat they're presenting a threat but this is such a great 
character-driven story that focuses so heavy on the dynamic between these two friends, the dynamic between Sean and his, uh, his mom and his stepdad, the dynamic between him and his love interest. There's so much going on, but that doesn't detract from the attention to detail that Edgar plays with the zombies. I mean, these zombies are horrifying looking. They're grisly. They're terrifying to stare at. And I love the attention to detail in that where it's clear that Wright was inspired by movies like Romero's Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and all the great zombie movies of the past. And I don't know, there's something about this movie and I know there's so many things you're going to want to talk about with this too, Ray. I just am enamored with this film. Every time I watch it, I love it more. And one of my favorite scenes in film history is when they're going through their vinyl collection to choose what to throw at the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of my I love that, that, that whole so much is amazing. One of the reasons I love this movie so much. So, have you ever been asked the question, if you could bring back someone from the dead, or if you could travel anywhere in time, who would it be or where would it be? I had that question asked, and my answer has always been generally the same. Who would I bring back from the dead is George Romero. Where would I travel back in time? I would travel to the opening showing of Night of the Living Dead back in 68. That would have been an amazing I, experience. I hear it was. I've, I've read a lot and I have thoughts and I can go all day about Night of the Living Dead. But I'll say this. George Romero is one, if not my favorite famous person ever, for so many reasons. But, you know, he passed away and that was heartbreaking. So anytime I see anything that keeps his memory alive, that keeps what he's done alive, I mean, Edgar Wright even went for the slow-moving zombies, which, you know, we live in the world where all the zombies run now. So the fact that he kept the old-school, like, slow-moving zombies, um, the gore in this movie is very reminiscent of Tom Savini's work on Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Everything screams that it's giving George Romero the it's honoring Romero's you know legacy and it that just makes me happy every time I see Romero's legacy being honored I'm just over the moon and I'm a zombie guy I love zombies my old, my favorite movie of all time is the George Romero's Night of the Living Dead so every time I see some form of homage to him that's done right I'm there and like you said much like Romero's films, it, it it's not just about the zombie. It's not just a scary zombie movie. It, it deals with relationships. It deals with the collapse, the societal collapse. It deals with human psyche and how we would react in a situation like that. So, and that's something Edgar Wright did. Yeah, it's a hilarious movie. It's gory. It's bloody. You know, like I said, it's very Tom Savini esque type of, of filmmaking, but it also has a heart and it also leaves you with a sense of wanting to be a better person. And the fact that a zombie movie does that speaks volumes. Absolutely. I, I love that about this film is that it's so heartwarming and the it's a really beautiful story of friendship between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost characters. And I feel like by the end of this movie, I'm always smiling so huge by the end of it. But there's also those really emotional moments in the third act. And what I love about this is this has all the amazing editing hallmarks of, of Edgar Wright. This movie, it has all the quick, uh, the quick whip pans in there. And I've said this before on the podcast, but one of the things I love so much about Edgar Wright, and it's less prevalent in some of his newer films, I feel like, but especially the Cornetto trilogy, the camera 
is almost a character. And when you're watching the movie and the way that it moves, so much comedic timing and the way that things go are accented by the camera. Like one of my favorite things, and I'm sure you love this too, Ray, is the constant sequence of Sean saying, take the car, go to mom's, kill Phil. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> go, to, go to the Winchester, have a pint, and wait for all this to blow over. I love it. And every time <laughs> I watch it, I feel like, oh, I'm not going to laugh as hard this time because I know it's coming. But because of that quick editing and the way that it's shot and the way that the scenes play out, it's just so fucking hilarious. And the characters, you care so deeply for them. And it's just, it's a perfect movie. I mean, really, it really is a perfect movie. Yeah, I have nothing remotely bad to say about that movie. Yeah, uh, there's so many great one-liners, too. Like, I know everybody says I got red on you all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, like, also, another great sequence is, and and it's, it's that thing where you're saying, like, I mentioned it when we started talking about it, but, you know, paying homage to George Romero and caring about the zombie, like, genre, I love the sequence where they're going to sneak to the bar and they, like, act like zombies when they're walking with them. I love that sequence. And then when they go past the group that looks exactly like them, I I love that. There's so many great little nuances in this. So yeah, I don't have much more to say other than I love Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, same. And I have a feeling that I know what your number two is and that you probably... And it's going to be your number one. You figure it's my number one, so we might as well do it. Yeah, uh, my number two and Ray's number one is Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is, in my opinion, a perfect movie in literally every way. Yeah, there is nothing remotely wrong with that movie. It's, It's my favorite... And it's your second favorite for for a good reason, too. I have seen Scott Pilgrim. So when it came out in the theater, uh, this is just a quick story I'll tell. So uh, I worked at a movie theater for a really long time. It was probably the greatest job I've ever had. I loved working there. And so I got to watch all the movies. Well, I, I as I said to Ray, I love Edgar Wright. And he just, like, means the world to me. And I love his movies and... You know, I was in an era where all I had was to watch Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead over and over and over again. And then when I found out about Scott Pilgrim, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm going to watch it as soon as it comes out. So the night it came out, I went to the theater and I knew nothing about the the graphic novels. I didn't know anything about it other than the cast, which is an incredible cast and that Edgar Wright was handling it. It was his first movie outside of the normal cast of characters. He didn't shoot it in England. He shot it in Canada. And I was like, well, I can't wait to see this movie. And the environment in that theater, the only word I can use to describe it is electric. Uh, There were so many people in there that were like in cosplay outfits of people in the movie. And I just remember like the laughter and the joy that all of these people in the theater were feeling was so palpable. And I laughed for this whole two-hour runtime because it's just brilliant. Everything about the execution of this film is brilliant. And I'm sure, Ray, that you will go on a long rant about it, but this has one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard in a movie. I remember when I watched this movie and I heard the soundtrack, I was upset that the Sex Ball Bombs aren't a real band. Me fucking too. I was so upset. The song Threshold, I listened to that. That song is incredible. All of the songs that they play, 
Heck, even the songs um, from Crash and the Boys. Yes, they're all... Uh, even the songs from um, the uh, uh, Brie Larson's band. Clash of Demons? They're, they're all... Yeah, they're, they're all great. But I... Aside from the, the bands in the film, I mean, the score, the soundtrack itself is so amazing. I remember I bought a CD copy of this right after it came out because I was just so obsessed with it. And I remember literally every day I would play Sleazy Bed Track, like every single day from the Blue Tones. And I'd never heard that song before. And that's one of the things I love about Edgar Wright is he's introduced me to so much music that I never knew existed. Also... The score as well, like I know the score is kind of more on the background, but it's very like Nintendo, the, the very like 8-bit Nintendo vibe that the score has is so much fun. It's just the movie as a whole is so much fun. And that's the thing. There are these emotional beats and like I feel like any person can put themselves in Scott's shoes and how he's feeling to where like... Obviously, you know, we've all had a person that we've either been interested in or wanted to have a relationship with, and there's obstacles that are put in the way, and obviously this is a very elevated way to look at the obstacle to be with someone, but I feel like you kind of feel Scott's struggle and what he cares so deeply for Ramona's character, and I I don't know, there's something so relatable about this film, but I love that Edgar Wright doesn't pull back from his really over the top and absurdist humor i love all the video game nods in this i love like when someone gets killed and the coins pop out and like just all of the little details in this film and i think all of the evil exes are cast perfectly i also love the 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 physical comedy of it like one of my favorite scenes is when knives knocks on the door yeah and she's like it's like it's scott here it's like you know what and you just see him pop out the window you just missed them mm-hmm. just like just those comedic punches just oh they get me laughing you know something i have realized about scott pilgrim and maybe maybe you can you can relate to this or not scott pilgrim I will say it's definitely a generational movie. I have attempted to show this to people that are older than 50 and they think it's the dumbest thing they've ever seen. Well, I think it's so embedded in like, you and I are around the same age and I feel like this movie is really embedded in that like Super Nintendo PlayStation era culture of like, hey, if you were into video games in this time period, you probably are going to relate to a lot of it. But at the same time, I do think there are elements that older people can get into. I mean, you know, a lot of my family members that are older went and watched this movie and thought it was hilarious. But I do think there is a general generational element to it. I also think there's a lot of actors and actresses in this movie. Kieran Culkin's character in that movie is just so pitch perfect in every way. There's so much about him that is like every single comedic cue. Like I remember when Scott's first meeting up with Chris Evans character when he's on that set and when Kieran Culkin just shows up and he's like drinking a coffee or something and like some of his one-liners he's just he was perfect casting I think everyone in this film's great I mean even if you look at a at the time little known Aubrey Plaza who gives a great performance in this movie I feel like everyone um in this because I feel like this movie had the birth of so many so many actors that would kind of redefine things. I mean, like you said, Aubrey Plaza, Brie Larson, Chris Evans. I mean, you have this star-studded cast before they knew they were going to be a star-studded cast. And let's not forget the You've Stolen My Heart, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. <laughs> well, 
I love Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. I have had a crush on her for a very long time, and I was like, when I saw her in this movie, I was like, oh, perfect casting. I actually made a, a list on my letterbox of my favorite movies of the past decade, and Scott Pilgrim was was there, for sure. It's one of my favorite movies of the last decade, and probably for decades to come. Literally, like... Just one of the most perfect movies ever made. I could watch this movie over and over and over again, and I would never get sick of it. Like I said, I mean, it's difficult with Edgar Wright and my top three to, like, put these ones over each other because I love them all so much. So, Nate, we have arrived. Yeah, my number one movie's Hot Fuzz. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I've, I think I've even mentioned it on the, on the uh, podcast before, but I... You know, it's really, it's tough when you finally have to put into words how much something means to you, but I remember very vividly I was on vacation, and so this came out when I was 17, I think 2007, so 16 or 17, and my parents turned it on the TV, and my brother sat down and watched it, and I remember for the first time in my life starting to think more critically about how movies are made, and just like how editing works and how there's so much going into this film. And I think that it's just so brilliant. Like I remember one of the scenes where Nicholas is, uh, Nicholas Angel's fighting with Andy Cartwright when they're in the thing. And they're like, he, he says, Leslie Tiller was fucking murdered. And Andy Cartwright's like saying every single person that's getting killed in the town. And he says like the last name and Nicholas Angel's like, no, no, actually. And he says, really? And he says, of course he fucking was. And Danny drops a coin in the swear box. And Nicholas is like, thanks, Danny. Like, just those little beats, like it's so fucking funny how they they have these reoccurring gags throughout the movie that continue to pay off. And another thing, Ray, and I, I know you didn't talk about it when you were discussing the film, but one of the things I knew you'd appreciate about this movie is how much the music plays into the comedy. Like when the house burns down and that person dies in the fire, how when um, they're, at, they're at the crime scene and Timothy Dalton pulls up and that song Fire is playing in his radio. <laughs> I'm telling you, Edgar Wright knows how to curate a good playlist. It's just perfect. Like the utilization of music. This has, so one of my favorite scenes, it's not even like the, a line delivery. But one of my favorite moments in any of Edgar Wright's films is when Simon Pegg and Nick Frost go to that play that they're having and they're doing Romeo and Juliet on stage. The cut back and forth when they start doing the musical number for Love Me, Love Me, Say That You Love Me and it cuts to Simon Pegg's face. And we said he's playing the straight man in this. He's like completely deadpan and then he has the most horrified expression on his face while they're doing that musical number and that like i every time i watch that movie i literally cry when i watch that every single time and i do want to say kind of piggybacking off of Shaun of the dead this movie does not hold back on the gore either oh it was actually interesting because i was um when i watched it i wasn't sure what to expect because the World Sand leans more into a sci-fi, and Shaun of the Dead leans more into the horror. So I was like, where is this one going to land? And, I mean, it's still, I would say it's more, like, thriller-driven, but, yeah, it, the gore does not hold back either. 
for sure. Back and forth between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost is just perfect. Their friendship feels so realistic. And I don't know, there, there's just something about this movie. I, I cannot express really with words how much I love it. There's so many one-liners. I love the, when's your birthday? 8th of May, 1969. What year? Every year. <laughs> Get out. Like, that shit, like, I love dry, deadpan humor. There's so many, like, setup and payoffs in this movie that work perfectly. I think that this is the slickest editing of any Edgar Wright movie. And it also has an amazing score. The, the score to this movie is incredible. The actual soundtrack to this film is incredible. And... I mean, Ray, if I don't stop, I'm going to go for like the next half hour. I just love Hot Fuzz. Literally love Hot Fuzz. I'm telling you, Edgar Wright, he just has a great track record. And I am excited for all the future projects ahead of him. He is definitely up in the pantheon of... If I were to make like a Mount Rushmore of directors, I'm pretty sure he'd be in it. Absolutely. I completely agree. This is a movie I would love to watch in the room with you because I feel like we would both just be laughing so hard. It is a great one. And I, and even though it landed number four on my list, I'm sure it has the potential of, to, of growing on my list for sure. Edgar Wright, despite his you know credibility as a filmmaker and growing his catalog he's still not as well known as a lot of the people that we love uh i feel like his career would have really taken off more if disney would have let him finish his ant-man movie i feel like he would have been a more household recognizable name like taika waititi's becoming because of the thor films but i don't know he's someone i'm going to continue to support and i will always go watch an edgar wright movie regardless of anything else can you imagine Paul Rudd being directed by Edgar Wright. Well, and the th I feel like because you know he worked on part of the movie before they let him go, and I feel like there's that sequence towards the third act of Ant Man where um oh what's the guy's is it Michael Pena yeah when he's recounting that scene or what he's recounting it it's very Edgar Wright it feels very Edgar Wright for sure and I and he still has writing credits on the movie so I feel like there are little hallmarks that you can kind of pick up that have his hands kind of all over it. Uh, but I really would have liked if they would have just left him alone like they've done with James Gunn and just so that we could see what that looked like. But regardless, the man has an amazing catalog, and if Ray and I can't stress something enough with this episode, watch every single one of his movies because they're all worth your time. There's not a single movie on this list that Ray and I would tell you is a bad movie. Yeah, none of them whatsoever. So that was uh, our ranking of the Edgar Wright list, Ray. Our lists were kind of close. I think that, you know, close enough to where it's like, yeah, it makes sense where everything fell. Yeah, you know, we had a few different flavors of Cornetto there, but for the most part. I, that was, it, it took me, you want anything, you want anything from the shop? We just came from, we just Cornetto. came from the shop. I was thinking of a different shop. That's another Hot Fuzz line I love. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I love doing this episode, Ray. I hope that we can rank some other directors. I'm talking about David Lynch. I hope that we can rank some oh, other directors' <laughs> films. I think that it'll be a blast. I... I know you mentioned recently I have wanted any excuse to watch every Denis Villeneuve movie, so I feel like that's going to be coming. If you guys like this episode, reach out to Ray and I on Instagram and say, like, hey, I really loved when you guys ranked all this director's work, or I loved when you talked about one movie. Ray and I want your feedback so that we can know what type of episodes you love us doing the most. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually really enjoyed this because it felt more casual, but it also felt more engaging because we both have an equal amount of love for this man and all of the work that he's done. So yeah, we just finished talking about Edgar Wright and that's some, somebody that we're really passionate about and that kind of moves Ray and I into the direction to talk about something else that we're really passionate about, passionate about which is going to be the topic for next week's episode. So Ray, I'm going to let you kind of give everybody the, uh, the news as to what we're going to be talking about in next week's episode. Yeah, so... As a lot of people, a lot of movie nerds know this, um, during the month of July and the month of November, the Criterion Collection has a sale at Barnes & Nobles that's 50% off their Criterion um, catalog. So I thought it would be a fun idea to talk about um, our picks for some of our favorite Criterion selections. So A, we can selfishly give each other um, some ideas of some stuff to be on the lookout for, but also, um, you know, recommend people some cool criterion things they can, they can pick up this month, um, in July. So you can get yourself some cool movies. So I just thought that would be a fun idea to talk about it, take advantage of the sale and recommend some people, some cool stuff to, to watch in the process. Absolutely. The criteria criterion is one of my favorite things and it's actually the way Ray and I started talking about these uh the idea of doing a podcast was doing a live stream talking about criterion films and so it'll be exciting to like revisit that and I'm gonna be cognizant and pick some different things and give some different recommendations. But I'm really excited to hear what you're gonna recommend. I'm pretty sure some of them will come back that you have heard me talk about in the past, but I, I too will try to throw in a few, a few different ones just to keep it fresh for us and for obviously people who have listened to the live stream in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so get excited for that. Uh, that'll be our next episode is talking about the Criterion channel. And if you want to ask us any questions about this week's episodes or prior episodes or you just want to talk, you can feel free to hit Ray and I up on Instagram. We have uh, the the podcast Instagram, which is the Film Monsters Podcast. You can follow us at the Film Monsters Podcast. And then you have Ray and I's personal Instagram accounts. You can follow Ray at Analog C or you can follow me at my Exodus unfair and we say this every episode but we're always willing to take your questions to talk to chat and yeah we're looking forward to getting some more content out for you in the future uh ray and i are really excited about planning new episodes and we're really excited to where the podcast is going to go I'm, I'm excited we've been texting a lot and talking a lot about some ideas that we can incorporate and I'm, I'm really excited as well absolutely so as always thank you guys so much for listening we had so much fun talking about this episode and we look forward to seeing you next time we're coming to get you barbara <laughs> goodbye everyone